This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Monica. We are also joined by a very special guest. He is a freelance writer for the News and Observer, the Independent Weekly, the Nashville Scene, and many other publications. He's also the host of the interview podcast, Motherfuckers I Know. Craig Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Still not drunk, so I guess I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm glad we haven't driven you to drink just no, yet. No, we're doing this wrong, <laughs> I think is what he's trying to say. All right, well, this is episode number 28 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Killing Them Softly. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, you should be aware that this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is the general non-spoiler discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers. As mentioned, we are going to be talking in-depth about Killing Them Softly. This is the new film from director Andrew Dominic, starring Brad Pitt. And before we really start to analyze the film, here's another clip. You ever killed anyone? No. You can get touchy-feely. Touchy-feely? Emotional, not fun. A lot of fuss. They cry, they plead, they beg, they piss themselves, they call for their mothers. It's embarrassing. I like to kill them softly. From a distance. Not close enough for feelings. Don't like feelings. Don't want to think about them. You need Mickey. What's the problem? Mickey's expensive. Not at the moment. You get him for 10? 15. You do it for 15? 15. 15. I think in this economy, a quick 15 for two days' work would sound pretty good to Mickey. We'll sell him a party. Fly in, whack a guy, fly out. Quick 15. Fly coach. Okay, guys, where do you want to start with our discussion of this film? Because I feel like there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. Craig, earlier you pointed out that this movie does have a lot of political subtext. How did you interpret that element of the film? What do you think Andrew Dominic is really trying to say here? Well, the thing that a lot of people uh, who have seen it is that uh, you know, the, the political subtext is laid on a bit too heavily because, you know, I think it is set during the Obama-McCain uh, campaign trail and it's kind of hovering over what's going on throughout the movie. I, I mean, for me, because you just kind of just assume, just watching, I mean, this like, whole idea is just the criminal underworld is, of course, this uh, reflection of the country, just how there are the, you know, the, the, the downtrodden People trying to make it. I think those are who are trying to you know, make it in their own ways, and uh, they're represented by uh, Scoot McNary and Ben Mendelsohn's characters. Of course, there are there are those guys like Ray Liotta's characters who is dealing from you know his own and kind of kind of, kind of representative of 
you know, Wall Street Fat Cats, you know, the bank corporation, the, you know, and those guys. And there's uh, the, the, the people, the, 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 uh, the, the journeymen like James Gandolfini's character who just trying to make it in whatever they're trying to do. And of course you got like Brad Pitt who's kind of serves at this, as this, this ultimate middleman trying to, to weave it all together through some, uh, you know, some, some, some higher ups represented by Richard Jenkins. And it just, it's just, you know, bre- break it all down. I think, I think there is just this idea that, you know, just even in the criminal underworld, it kind of represents how the country, you know, is still going through, even through the, the, the during the four years of the Obama presidency and kind of like that film is representing just what, just, just what, just what it is, and, and just the whole uh, idea of politics just, just playing over everything, just to remind people that, and that's kind of the reason why it's not just, just another crime film. It's just like a crime film that, that's in a way represents our American culture at large. Yeah, I, I kind of, I felt like it was implying that these gangsters and these criminals that we're watching, just going around killing each other. In many ways, it's, it's not much different from how government works or how Wall Street works. And um, as you mentioned, the backdrop of this film is not only the 2008 presidential campaign, but also the economic crisis. And yeah. so you've got people constantly referencing about how they're on a budget, how they're having to cut back. And that really does seem to be a factor. And you mentioned the James Gandolfini character. He's this guy who just kind of sits around, doesn't do much, just drinks a lot of booze, uh, has sex with a lot of women. He's not very professional, and I couldn't... Talk, talk a lot about the old days as well, just like, you know, in right. my day, it's like... Yeah, yeah, he talks a lot about the, the, the old he days. He used to and, be good, yeah. And I, I couldn't help but be reminded of all the Wall Street bankers and, and people that came under fire in 2008 for basically just you know taking large bonuses just kind of spending all this money uh not really doing a whole lot seemingly um not really producing much and and i i definitely think that the economic crisis does sort of color how you view certain characters in the film well yeah i mean just say yeah that's that's kind of like uh you mentioned the economic crisis. That's like kind of the most uh, continuous theme throughout the movie. How just because it is, it is is this lower class film. It's not. It's basically just a movie about these all people just trying to, in a way, motivate themselves to continue on doing what they're doing. And so, you know, the whole subtext is something you cannot be. Uh, it, it, it is something is so obvious. It's just something you you, you just you just instantly see. And, and for some people. That may, you know, for some smarter people, that may be too on the nose. But for some people, you know, this is just something. just something they need to recognize about this film. Right. I think it's made very clear that that's a dominant theme from from the opening scene. And I didn't think that it was too heavy handed. Really. Or maybe okay, maybe it's a little bit heavy handed. But I I tend, I personally I tend not to mind when things are a little bit heavy handed. <laughs> But that's just me. Uh, Monica, what was your take on all of that? I mean, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and I got the metaphor and all that jazz. But the moment that it really took me out of the whole message was, why is everybody listening to NPR? (laughs) Was it NPR? I thought thought there was some conservative radio in there. 
Oh, probably. Okay, yeah. Some Glenn Beck. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was my thing. It was just like, there is no way all of these thugs happen to be waiting for this American life. Like, I'm just not buying this. <laughs> Here's a little too much. No one's going to put the top 40 station. Come on. Really miss that Timberland song. You know, I that was the moment I was kind of like, uh, this is silly. Um, otherwise, like, everything else was subtle enough. Like, I, you were saying, like, um, the fat cats and all that jazz. They were, they were stand-ins for the actual things. So, the only part that it really went into the heavy-handed thing was just the, comp- the voiceover was almost, or the, um, listening to the radio shows, the news blurbs and stuff like that almost served as the soundtrack to the movie. That was a little too much for me. Well, let me ask you then, Monica, if you thought that was heavy-handed, what did you think of the final scene and the way the movie ends with Brad Pitt basically just telling Richard Jenkins straight up, uh, America isn't a country, it's a business, so give me my money. Fuck you, pay me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So did that come across as heavy-handed? No, I I think that was a great summary of what we were just watching. I thought that was a great, like, a good end line. You're not going to forget it, the fuck you pay me line, basically. So would both of you say that that final scene cements what the film is about? Are are we, the audience, supposed to come away agreeing with Brad Pitt in in your minds? I think it's basically what the movie, entire movie, is about. It is a business. Everything that's kind of happened in the entire movie, for the most part, has been mostly calculated moves by people in order to to keep things flowing mm. in some way, you know, either financially or just, just, just keep things going as they as they should be. And isn't that what business is all about? I mean, you can sense some heavy handedness because he basically because Brad Pitt just basically sums up the entire movie in in that in that one moment. Like this, this is just, this is basically what the movie's been about all this time. It hasn't been just about guys shooting at each other and beating the shit out of each other. It is just basically about just how things are run uh, in this country for business in a business-like manner, and just that's what makes that's kind of what made makes this country what it is today, whether for good or for or for or for worse. And of course, when he says that that final line, I you know, it's just, it's just, I, as, as I remember it, I'm just thinking. The minute he says that line, like half the audience is just going to scream, you know, F yeah! Just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be on top of my Muriel's most cinematic moment list, but, you know, we'll just see how that goes. Yeah, it, it's sort of a movie just all about capitalism and, and all about money and how the free market kind of involves screwing people over sometimes, yeah. uh, as we've seen. Can I just say I hate it that you're just making better you just sums up. You sum up everything I said in, in, in like six first less, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell to say because I haven't been drinking. I'm trying to be sober and professional. I can't believe I finished. Feel my pain every week. Because <laughs> I got a podcast, but it's just basically I'm going to curse again. It's just basically a a, a, a weekly bullshit session. And I just try to, you know, just get, you know, get friends of mine to talk. We just bullshit about our lives. And when, when forced to come up with opinions, mm-hmm. and it's just, <laughs> I, 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 you know, this is, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> I know, I know being a, like a movie critic and everything, but hey, you know, you got, you both understand. Oh, yeah. That it's just like, uh, <laughs> just, 
You can be a pain in your ass sometimes. Am I having a meltdown? Is this what this is? <laughs> well, part of it, Craig, is just because I have to have the last word. So if you make a really good point, I need to sum that up so everyone feels like I'm the one that actually made that great point. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to Did you just it. reveal your, like, masterly, dastardly secret, like, over the air? That's my scheme. I, I try to steal everyone's thunder and, uh, and claim it all for myself. <laughs> but Now I'll never let you have the last word. Craig, maybe you can uh, shed some light on, on this, because I was thinking about this, and I couldn't figure out if there was any purpose to it. We talked a little bit in part one about how Andrew Dominic has cast some very familiar faces when it comes to fans of crime films and, and crime television. You've got James Gandolfini, you've got Ray Liotta, you've got, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who plays uh, Johnny in the film was also in The Sopranos. Um, yeah, yeah, yes, him. And it seems like all of them eventually end up either winding up in jail or getting beat to a pulp or killed, or sometimes all of the above. So what was your take on that? I was I was trying to figure out, you know, is Andrew Dominic trying to sort of just subvert our expectations when we see these actors? Is, he, is that somehow related to the theme of the film about how this is this is how the economy works? <laughs> this is how capitalism works? What, what was your take on that? Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he got that deep into it just from the casting standpoint. You know, it's, it's funny, when I, when I first heard about this movie, uh, when I heard that it was uh, another crime film starring Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini and, and Ray Zilder, like a part of me was just like, oh, geez, another one of these. But of course, it's being an Andrew Dominic film, I you know, thought like he might have something up his sleeve, and sure enough, when you watch the film, it's just starring all these well-known badasses in you know, movies like me, just, and they're just basically... Almost these, these pitiful excuses for human beings. I mean, kind of, you know, Ray Liotta, as we mentioned, he plays this guy who, who, who starts and he, he kind of like, the, he, he runs all these card games and he, and he robs his own business and, and of course, he, you know, he gets this, this, it's very brutal, very, uh, kinetically shot, visceral beating that in the rain and the cinematography is a lot more, uh, quicker and everything. Just like, it's almost like that scene in Eastern Promises where, uh, you know, Vigo Mortensen was, was, uh, getting the, the crap beat out of him, butt naked in the steam room. Oh, right, yeah, the knife fight. Yeah, you feel everything. You feel just like, you just sense <laughs> how painful, like, all that's going through. It's just not just a regular movie beatdown. You actually get the impression, like, damn, that, that really, I, I feel that in my area. Yeah, you, you you like you hear like every bone just cracking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it is just like just witnessing that you just realize because they, they you know because these actors have gotten such reputations as beating the heavy in whatever they do, and yeah, you watch Dan Gandolfini, and I thought like he it was it was, it was a no brainer he was going to get a best supporting actor nomination for this. He may not get it for this. He may not. He may. He may end up getting it for like for Zero uh, Dark Thirty or even uh, the Not Fade Away, the the film and directed by David Chase. But the performance he gives in this movie is something I I think he should be nominated for because it is he's supposed to be this renowned hitman and he's just he's just this this guy who's 
loafing around. I mean, the first time you see him, he's just schlepping his way through an airport terminal and is such a brow-beaten. It's almost like Tony Soprano, if he was just this tax accountant, just going from city to city. And it's just such, just such a sad, pitiful display. And you just realize just when you watch this, it's just like, it is this, this, this whole subversion of these guys who are these, these hard men, as they would say, these heavies. And they're just, and just playing all these, kind of like these sad sacks, just, just, just going through the motions. Or just trying to survive on their own terms, being desperate about it. Yeah, especially with his character, that's an example of how in this film, there's so much dialogue at times where these guys, especially James Gandolfini's character, will just sit around and talk about these random parts of their lives, whether it's the good old days or their their marriages. They'll just kind of sit around and talk about stuff that really doesn't have much to do with the plot. And apparently that's true to the novel from what I've read, but I, I'm wondering if that will aggravate certain people who will kind of just feel like, well, what's the point of this? I, I actually thought that it really did a lot to flesh out some of these characters, and you can tell in certain scenes where James Gandolfini's just going on and on about the women he slept with, and he's just kicking back and drinking all all this booze. You can tell Brad Pitt's character is just... He almost, to some extent, might feel like the audience, just sort of like, what am I doing here? Just get on with it. Who is this guy? So, yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. Monica, what was your opinion of of all that? I was going to say, if you want to continue on the whole uh, political metaphor, it's something about fallen heroes. It's like these are the guys that the the community at large, the organized crime syndicate, looked up to. Gandolfini was the big-time, like, assassin dude. And then Ray Liotta's character was the one that held all these card games. And then they're the ones to, like, almost fall first. So I think it kind of fit in with that. That is a good point. I had really not thought about that. <laughs> and I earned my keep. <laughs> yes, you you just earned your keep. Once in a while, I have to do this. I kind of was really interested that Ray Liotta's character, Marky, he basically just becomes a victim of bad PR. Like, he doesn't... Yeah. He, he, he didn't actually hold up the game, but because he had done it before, and everyone thinks he might have done it, the public might think that he had done it. So he has to he be has to go. sacrificed. Yeah, yeah I thought, I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that in a gangster film before where someone has to get whacked just because the public perception of them is that they they did something that they actually didn't. Somehow I feel like that's happened before. Well, you know, in a sense, you know, you know just getting on to the whole um, economic crisis subtext to this film kind of reminds me of just how you know just the the movie margin call came to my head where uh just you know they just needed scapegoats to you know take take the fall for what's been going down it just 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 how this whole thing is just gonna blow up in their faces and just need people to take the fall for it and just basically that's kind of like what ray leota character is in in killing them softly just the guy to get just to just be the scapegoat capacity to to keep up appearances, and, you know, just getting back onto the whole, just have to keep things going, you have to, you know, find somebody to take the fall so things could get back to the natural order of things. 
yeah, I never thought about it that way. So I guess that is sort of in keeping with the theme of the movie. Let me ask you, Craig, you, you mentioned earlier the cinematography in in that scene of the beating. There's also that really elaborate drive-by uh, where Brad Pitt finally oh, yeah. kills Ray Liotta's character, Marky, and it's all done in slow motion. So whereas the beating was very quick-cutting, uh, very, very jarring, very visceral. This scene was very highly stylized, at times very slow, and it just sort of just drags on and on where you see each bullet being fired from the gun. And then the second half of the film, it, it's almost like there's none of that. People just get shot and they die, and that's it. What was your take on how Dominic handled each of those those shootouts? Well, the, the funny thing is, just like as somebody who's seen Chopper and the assassination of that long ass title movie, um, <laughs> just it's you get so only get so used to Dominic having these moments in these films where he just, as I like to say, uh, just show his ass, right, and uh, just just show out and just like make a you know scene that it, you know make a moment that is not at all expected of what you would expect from a film like this. So I think that was kind of his, his centerpiece moment. He didn't want to do just a uh, regular scene where uh, Ray Liotta gets gunned down in his car. He wanted to make it a very, very visual. I think that's the whole thing they want with the, you know, the beat down that Ray Liotta gets and then the, the gunning down the car, just like he wanted to create these scenes of violence that's unexpected. It's not supposed to be, you know, it's not supposed to be like the other violent scenes you see in other movies where they just, people getting beat down or shot or whatever, just like, he just, he just trying to, you know, he kind of, he did, he's done that before in Chopper and then other things. So I, th- I think if anything, he wants to accentuate just how violent, violence can be completely unsettling one mo- moment and almost transcended the next and i think that's what he's, he's trying to pull off were you disappointed at all that the the violence after that scene wasn't quite as visual well i think yeah yeah i wasn't it wasn't so much uh me being disappointed <laughs> by just how great the scenes of violence would be in the next. I think like there are a lot of moments in this movie where it is it is obviously uh, very uh, stylized. I mean the scenes like when Brad Pitt's Gooten McNary go and uh, you know, gun down uh, Vincent Cartola's character and just uh, I think in, in in certain moments of the movie I think it's like you get how. The, not not only the violence is used, but the threat of violence. Because because you know, certain you know certain scenes, you're like you're you're just waiting for it to happen. You're just wondering how's it going to happen, and like in, in certain situations, like because like the whole the whole thing where they're they're, they're driving to kill Charles character is just like they're supposed to be very uh, covert about it, and they're, they're trying to be as, as as quick about it as possible. I think I think in that scene, in that instance, especially. It was all not about putting a spotlight on on the violence for so much as just showing just how they're trying to to, to get it you know, to, to get this thing going and to be you know just to be out of just be out of the vicinity when it happens. And I think that 
in that instance, the violence didn't need to be as as quite as visual. Well, yeah, that's interesting. You point out that Brad Pitt's character, Kogan, he, he kind of just wants to get in and get out and keep it very quick. And he even, I believe, mentions the title of the film at one point where he says he likes to kill people softly. He doesn't want to let it get drawn out. He doesn't want it to get personal. He likes to just keep it quick, kill them from a distance if possible, and then move on. Monica, were you expecting Frankie to get killed at the end, or did you think that Brad Pitt's character, Kogan, might actually keep his promise and let him go? It was one of those things, like, <laughs> too too big to fail. No, no, this one was, like, too small to succeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you knew the whole time that Frankie was going to get a bullet. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. From, like, the get-go, it was like, there's no way these two guys are going to walk out of here intact. Like, it's just not happening. <laughs> there's no way. They just pulled off this huge stunt, and this movie is already going downhill so quickly. It's very cynical. It's very dark. Bring it on. Someone's going to die. I actually wasn't sure until that scene where Brad Pitt gives him the car keys. It's not, like, super obvious, but I just had, like, the sneaking suspicion. Like, it's not really hinted. Like, he's very cold about it, so there's not any, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely looking at him maliciously or, you know, he's just waiting for him to turn around. But I just I just knew it wasn't going to be a happy ending for that guy. Well, w- that final scene in the garage when Brad Pitt hands him the keys to let him drive off. I had a feeling once that scene started, okay, he's probably going to shoot him before he can get away. But I wasn't sure before that Mm -hmm. if he was going to let Frankie live or not because Brad Pitt's character, he, I don't want to say he's the, he's the moral one of the bunch, but it's weird because even though at the end of the movie, you, you realize that he is very cut and dry. Like he just wants to get it quick over with and get his money. Yeah. There are moments in the film where he does come across as a little bit more human, where he, he'll talk about doing people little favors mm-hmm. to help them have a better day and how he doesn't like... He doesn't sleep with Gandolfini's girl. Right. He, he kind of wants to stay away from all that, and he he mentions how he doesn't like things to get personal. So I was thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe if he spent all this time with Frankie, maybe he'll feel sorry for him and, and, and not kill him at the end. He's too much duty. He's too much duty. Yeah, it's kind of like that's his job. Yeah. But, Craig, what was your take on the character of Kogan? Do you feel like he's moral at all, or is he just a different type of gangster? Is he just a different type of, of scumbag? Yeah, I just said, you know, you guys talking about it, it's, you know, just kind of thumbs up how Kogan is as a character where, you know, he, he's a guy who comes in, because even the way the character shows up in the movie. It's like, I think, if I forget the actual time frame of how much time passes before Brad Pitt shows up as Kogan, he's just like this guy who just comes in and tries to get things done from a distance. And because he has that business ethic of mind, it's like he doesn't want to be the guy who has to go in deep and and have to deal this his own way but, you know, eventually you kind of realize this is who he is a- as a person. Like, he has to take care of business. He has to he has to downsize many employees <laughs> in different fashions. And, you know, just, just, just realize it's like in order it just going back to how things have to be maintained and things have to 
progress and move along, a, a lot of uh, people have to go. So he has to always have this, this he has this sense of think, looking at it from a business standpoint, just how like whether or not this person should go or this person should should stay and everything. And so when it got to that point, you kind of you realized, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's kind of like a it's a cold blooded moment when Kogan shoots Minari's uh, character, but it's just like it's just indicative of just who he is, where it's just like it's it has to be done. It doesn't. He doesn't mean he doesn't want to do it, but it, uh, but it has to be done in order for things to progress. I think you made a really good comparison in part one when you basically said this is a really dark version of Up in the Air, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and how Kogan is basically just the George Clooney character with a gun, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't really know how what to think of him for most of the film because I, I was thinking to myself, okay. Clearly, this guy isn't a loser. He's very professional. He's capable of killing anybody, you know, when he needs to. But at the same time, he isn't just going to go do whatever he feels like. So maybe the fact that he is so by the book, maybe that's both a good thing and a bad thing, morally speaking. I I, I don't know. I mean, could you say the same thing for, like, government regulation? I guess you could. Like if since like unbridled capitalism is X, then this is the this is the neutralizing factor that restores the order. Right. Yeah. Right. It is. It is a movie. It's funny thing. It is a movie about order. Yeah. Right. It, it just like it just oh you think is you know I don't know if uh, once again I have not heard any reactions from people, but I I just I just heard you know reactions from my my colleagues on the Facebook. Talking about how old people were 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 clapping their canes <laughs> out in the aisles, talking like what? In the in the course the the Mel Brooks Michigan voice. Oh no! <laughs> and all that stuff. And but you know, just like it is a movie that 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 knows what it's doing, and and it's all I think from a structural standpoint, and also from a narrative standpoint, it's just the general. Uh, theme is is order and how things have to be maintained in order to you know to keep people happy to veil people from what's really going on. Mm. Right. I, you know, I think you when know, people you know you give this movie a chance, I know it's just like it's 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 about thugs. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen a movie about thugs a million times, but it's, you yeah. know, it's, 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 I think I think it's a great film, and of course Brad Pitt is in it. He, and he's and he of course plays the uh, the guy with the code and and is also that is Brad Pitt. He's very dreamy. <laughs> we can say that. But would you say? Wait, wait, Monica. Would you say he is particularly dreamy in this instance? No, not particularly. He's more like slimy. Like you don't know where he could go. There's those moments that he's very humanizing, and he's like. No, I have standards, and then the other, you know, he just turns around and shoots a person. The glasses are a winning factor, though. He's very asexual in this movie. Yeah, because he doesn't really attach himself to any girl or anything like that. Right, right. There's nothing really sexualized about him. He's literally just there to do his job. Right. Which is not usually the case for most, like, gangster movies or so. There's always a girl involved. Right. But but here's the thing I'm thinking, like, um... You think he was wearing Eternity during the whole shooting of that movie? 
<laughs> he was what? Wait, wait, is, wait. Is it is Eternity or some Chanel shit? Yeah, the, the Chanel oh. stuff. <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I thought I thought it was Eternity. I, this, this, <laughs> does Eternity still exist? I don't even know. Man, I haven't been able to afford perfume in I don't know how long. <laughs> I still have my bottle of chaps that I got when I graduated from college. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but just like, I don't know. You think Brad Pitt will work with Andrew Dominic again because it seems like every time, like, the least successful movies Brad Pitt has done in his career, basically. Even though they're very good, he's done them with Andrew Dominic. I mean, it's his art house credit, so he if he wants to, you know, keep that going, he has to, you know, log the hours, I guess. Yeah, I feel like Brad Pitt has enough money that if he wants to to do some art house, more independent stuff with Andrew Dominic and he likes working with the guy, then I think that's great. And I, I hope he keeps working with him yeah. in the future. But see, now you've got me thinking, is there any character in Killing Them Softly that would be likely to wear that Chanel? <laughs> it's actually uh, Justin Bieber's perfume. Oh. <laughs> we can go on. Apparently Shakira just released one too. Oh, man. Yeah. I just stay away from that section. Andrew Dominic should release a perfume, The Scent of Crime. <laughs> I would think Justin Bieber just smells like sweat and keys. <laughs> uh, for some reason, just like, I don't know, just like sweat keys and and, 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 and like he's been at a skateboard park too long. Or something. <laughs> I imagine Probably. it's like flowers. <laughs> Not the good kind. More like potpourri. All right. Well, is there anything either of you, uh, anything else either of you would like to say about Killing Them Softly before we wrap up this episode? Uh, quick aside, I did look it up because I was that was bothering me, like whether or not someone was killed because like they had to be killed, and I'm pretty sure it happened before. It kind, I mean, if you look at it, it kind of happened in The Godfather when Luca Brasi was like in the middle of switching loyalties or so. He's offed. Oh yeah, because yeah, like now he's point. now you know you can't trust him. He's just got to go. Well, I, I, it's not so, the fact that you can't trust him. In killing them softly, it seems like the people that know what happened, you know, the people in charge could still trust Marky because they know he didn't he, he didn't rob his own game again. But it's almost like they have to because the public perception is going to be that he did. I I just thought that was really interesting. That really stuck out to me. Like, oh, we we have to to, to to go back to the economic subtext. We have to let this guy go. We have to downsize this guy and lay him off because... God forbid this gets out on Twitter. Exactly. Bad PR. All right, Craig, anything else you want to say about killing them softly? Ah, uh, Jesus. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully it'll be around next weekend. Why do you think it's it's failing at the box office? Is it just poor marketing? Is... Why is dump that shit all over? Just 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 dropped it. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of killing them softly here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing Anna Karenina and Jude Law's Mangina. <laughs> yeah, just very. We should have Craig back on for that one. <laughs> Yeah. Explain <laughs> to me what a mangina is. <laughs> Any man who, who, who loses his uh, woman from that uh, kid from Kick-Ass needs to, <laughs> he needs to be acknowledged as a mangina. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. That help keeps us on the air and helps us develop new content. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Let's Get Real, The Thin Place, and our latest show, all about the ABC series Last Resort, Dispatches from St. Marina. Craig, it's it's been a blast having you on the show. Where can people find more of your work? They can just go online and just type in my name on Google. And basically, you will be uh, open to a, a, a wonderful world where I um, try to matter. And uh, you can... Uh, <laughs> You can also type in Uncle Crizzle. You can see I'm uh, got uh, the Twitter.com slash Uncle Crizzle, Facebook.com slash Uncle Crizzle, MySpace.com slash Uncle Crizzle. I'm on Google Plus. I, I still don't know why. I'm not, uh, my <laughs> podcast, motherfuckers I know, M U H F dot 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 A S I know. Uh, you can you can find it on iTunes. Or on Podomatic at UncleCrizzle.Podomatic.com. Uh, you can go on my Tumblr blog, Uncle Crizzle and the Crappies Written, uh, which has plenty of uh, photos of Christina Hendricks. UncleCrizzle.Tumblr.com. So, so basically, uh, just 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 uh, go online, find me, and talk to me because I'm lovely. Well, before we wrap up, Craig, I have to ask you, what does Uncle Crizzle? even mean why, why did you choose that name and also i know on twitter you used to go by black larry david and now you're uh tavis not so smiley tavis not so, so, so smiley. what's up with that it's just it's just a rotating because i'm trying to be a uh, distinctive i don't know if it's working uh just i have various aliases anastasia beaverhausen uh theodore's <laughs> humplick uh sticky roberts former adult film star um <laughs> Uncle Crizzle is, um, there's a story behind it. Re- really quick, I used to refer to myself as Uncle Craig. I just need a nickname because nobody's given, ever given me a nickname. I was working at the News and Observer, and they had a uh, party where they were having a lot of uh, desserts and, and pastries and baked goods. And they had uh, hello um, name tags, and it, it took me back to that uh, that moment in the Chappelle show where Dave Chappelle had a had a name tag on him, and it just said Dizzle. So <laughs> I uh, I wrote a, a Crizzle on it. And when I when I got got my first blog at the News and Observer, they asked me, um, "Wow, what would you like to call your blog?" And I just said, "Well, let's call it Uncle Crizzle's Wide Wild World of Pop." Okay. And they just shortened it to Uncle Crizzle. So. <laughs> and it stuck. Yeah, it stuck. So. Okay. I'm, making, I'm trying to trademark that. I don't know if that's going to work. But, you know, I'm sorry, by the way. I'm sorry if that was a long, boring story. I usually... Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's the origin story. Yeah, the origin story. I'd always been been curious. Like Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online at Twitter. It's mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. And they can also find my work reposted on the Bofka Twitter. That's B-O-F-C-A. 
and uh, bofca.com, uh, we're going to be having our awards gifting, I guess. <laughs> our award show releases on Saturday, this very Saturday. So you should be a fan of ours and follow along with the Boston Online Film Critics Association, what we thought was good movies. Yeah, you'll tell everybody what the best films of the year were. Not Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castilla. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!